welcome to the Big Turtle podcast. Um, I am in Srinagar, Kashmir today, and um, I have with me Rajat Ubhaikar, who is the author of uh, Truck Day India, um, also known as um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Hindustan. It's a very interesting, sort of eclectic um, uh, journey uh, through the heartland of India and uh, all the way up to Kashmir. And, um, you know, I wanted to talk to uh, Rajat because I lead that sort of itinerant life and I'm on the road a lot and I work on the road and so on. So I wanted to hear from the author himself on what he has seen and experienced in, in this this amazing country that, you know, never runs out of surprises. Um, you know, you, 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 <laughs> you can go, you can go north, south, east and west, and there's always something new uh, to discover. So, uh, so Rajat, uh, you know, what exactly led you to do this, uh, actually? And it says on the blurb, it's a 10,000 kilometer uh, journey. How did you get the idea to do this? And um, regarding, uh, you know, financing such a journey, was it self-funded? Was it a shoestring budget? Uh, tell yeah. us a little bit. Sure. So firstly, Vikram, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a real pleasure. And as far as your question is concerned, uh, see, my perspective was from uh, that of like I was a I studied engineering in a, in a college and after that uh, during the course of my engineering travels once like I had done a similar sort of adventurous trip to Shimla where we just packed our bags and we went and uh, one of these truck drivers he uh, very kindly accepted uh, gave me a lift which uh, he was rescued us when we were stranded on the highway outside Shimla. And then this guy didn't even charge anything, which was very unusual for me. I had never ever seen someone who, who you know, with that sort of unselfconscious generosity, which almost came naturally to them. Uh, and that sort of intrigued my mind. You know, what are their uh, lives on the road like? I mean, in my mind, it seemed like they lived a very adventurous sort of life. They saw all kinds of landscapes, interacted with people in a way that with, does not, most of us who are in modern professions, we are not allowed that sort of lifestyle, right? We are mostly sedentary, we are stuck. But this sort of uh, profession, I felt would offer some great insight into India, which we would not get from, say, a sedentary perspective. And apart from that, I... Uh, later as a business journalist, I worked for a while as a business journalist and, you know, truck drivers are the ones who are ultimately responsible for the conduct of our economy, right? They are the ones who constitute our supply chain, our entire logistics sector. And yet, like 70 years after independence, there was literally nothing that was written about their life on the road, about Indian highways. So uh, I thought that it would also offer some level of insight into the political economy of how our economy actually functions like at a very microeconomic scale. So all these sort of motivations led me to this journey, which topic, which was my sense of personal sense of adventure. I mean, I wanted to do something crazy in my early twenties and uh, this seemed like a good uh, way to look at India and from a relatively unconventional perspective. Okay, great. And where did you start again? Where did the journey begin? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I started off from, from Mumbai 
and uh, actually how this came about to be was also like like you asked about the financing and financing aspects right so uh, i was at, like i said at that time i was in a business uh, magazine outlook business and one fine day i walk into my editor's office i tell her ma'am see i have this uh, crazy idea i i i'm going trying to go across india for the next 3 4 months uh, with truck drivers and uh, you know i i think i'll have to quit my job because obviously you won't give me sabbatical or whatever for 3 4 months so she very kindly then suggested that why don't you write a six part series for us while you're based on your journeys on the highway economy and we will pay your salary while you're traveling so oh, that wow. turned out to be yeah so that turned out to be very good for me because then i did not have to you know hustle for sponsors or you know rely on savings etc and at the same time it was a completely shoestring budget like that it was combined with that yeah. because i didn't want to like go and live in like a three star hotel after yeah. traveling with truck drivers that yeah. sort of thing is jarring and it's yeah. did not fit well with the purpose of this trip so i lived in mostly i lived on the road only in the in the trucks itself sometimes i would go into cheap lodges like 300 400 rupees a night mm-hmm. above 500 i would not take anything like that was my rule if it's above 500 i'm not going to stay there for okay, the night okay. yeah so it was an extremely shoestring budget eating in the dhabas and you know so it turned out quite well for me and how long did the entire journey take so uh, entire journey took around 6 months Uh, wow. so four month yeah so it was divided into two legs so i did uh, for the first four months i traveled till kashmir and then in the northeast for some time yeah. and then at a later date i did another round to south india because i felt like it would be incomplete if i did not at least cover you know from the perspective of south india and yeah. then it would be an incomplete book it wouldn't be able to justify the title hitchhiker's guide to the hindustan so i later did a leg in uh, south india so the total uh, journey time was around 6 months got it um you have mentioned that you spent time with the bakarwals and uh, yes. you know and the gujjars in jammu and kashmir well was it mainly the bakarwals i mean they are connected but um, uh how lo- i mean how long was that journey and what are the terrains that you traversed and were you with them for the whole journey i mean did you accompany them on 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 foot or how how was it uh, how did it uh... no, no i would i was i was really wanting to uh, go with them on foot you know at that time but it did not fit well with the purpose of my journey in the sense that my book was my journey the core was traveling with truck drivers so uh, to take that huge detour at the time and go via the mountain trails to the alpine pastures uh, i did not i really wanted to i could not so my experience with them was mainly as fellow hitchhikers okay because uh, in the summers the bakarwals and the gujars they use trucks as a way to their herd and personally also travel with their families to certain points in the hills where from where they take then take these mountain trails so from jammu to shrinagar like you know like every every year they have this right of transhumans right where in the summers they will uh, go up to the mountains in the winters they'll come back to the plains so when i was traveling via truck it was peak summer and i was traveling from jammu to shrinagar so i just happened to encounter them many of them they were you know, just standing by the roadside 
hustling for a ride just trying to find some truck driver who will take them their entire uh, tent material their firewood uh, a couple of goats so there were these bakkawal families who were looking to hitchhike with trucks and then they ended up getting into my truck right. the truck i was traveling in so that was how i encountered uh, them and through them an entirely different way of life from anything that had ever been exposed to like this sort of nomadic existence where you are you know pitching tents in these mountains in the middle of nowhere and you are essentially a nomad like their lifestyle hasn't changed right since since centuries in many ways so uh, it was a fascinating experience yeah and they don't have uh, you know obviously because they've been in existence before these borders came about so they don't recognize official borders or you know exactly. and 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 how how they identify is is uh, really uh, something that only they know and uh, yeah. they have their own language of course and 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 yeah. there are bakarwals and gujars who are from afghanistan from pakistan from india from kashmir and uh, they speak a hodgepodge and you know they speak a little bit of this and little bit of that and of course they they are in other parts of north india too um and yeah. northern uh, regions of the himalayan states um yeah uh what's very interesting is that uh, they also have the semi i would say permanent uh, uh hamlets that they have built mm. along the way of their route you know and they have these uh, homes houses which are built into the mountain in kashmir and i'm sure in other places where um, uh, they, they they stay like semi permanently or even permanently you know they have their children and things and um, uh, some of them stay back there some of them come there for their breaks and then leave but these homes are there you know they are not makeshift i mean they are permanent homes in very of course very remote areas mm. um and uh, and they are very hospitable i've stayed with them in fact you know Wow. and uh, i'm going to be uh, doing something about with them shortly uh and of course they have uh, the most unbelievable areas that they find for themselves uh and uh, they know places that nobody really knows you know whether it's trekkers yeah, exactly. or whether it's the military even so uh, it's it's a very interesting lifestyle um but on your in uh, coming back to your book uh from mm. what i gather there are like uh, these protagonists right you have mm. uh, uh, selected uh, two or three protagonists who who are there along the whole trip uh, or oh, no, like every chapter you... has like a different protagonist like almost every chapter so there are 13 chapters mm. so of, out of which two three have a common protagonist Uh, but mostly it's about uh, the truckers i hitchhiked with on certain routes and so they have their own personalities they have their own character quirks like they are uh, they're distinct individuals and that is what i wanted to bring out because while we like to consider truckers as this homogenous mass of drunkards and uh, whole mongers it the truth is that of course everyone has their distinct personality they have their own family history and that sort of uh, detail about working class india about informal india is something that is often glossed over right because we try to look at them in the in terms of these archetypes or these stereotypes but uh, so my aim was to humanize truckers 
and through these characters so there are around 10 15 characters i suppose through the book depending on what leg of the journey i am in so yeah that's yeah. the broad structure but uh, this archetype of the the womanizing drinking uh, you know uh, male uh, nomad has in western literature it's uh, almost it's, it's sort of mythologized you know what i mean it's not a derogatory uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, concept True. i mean these people are seen as uh, free spirits and so on so i never looked down on them or i never thought of truck drivers in that manner uh, actually to be very honest with you i don't yeah. know what mainstream society probably mm-hmm. middle class people don't even it doesn't yeah. even it's not even on the fringes of their you know it's not even on the fringes of their exactly uh, so uh yeah. I mean, this type of my perspective is you know the the histo- yeah like the social attitudes derive from historical context right like yeah. you mentioned about the western uh, view of these truckers so there like for example the american mindset is shaped from their history of the expansion of the frontiers right the westward expansion when these guys came there and because of that this frontier mind space they value these guys who are who are willing to go into uncharted territory who have that spirit of adventure and uh, risk taking and because of that truckers are valorized and even mythologized to some extent in uh, uh, the in western culture especially american culture like grateful dead's the trucking song or I mean, they are very very highly like country music all of these aspects uh, you know they don't look at it in a negative way whereas india which comes from sort of a rooted caste based society uh, in that sense nomads and those who move around are looked upon with suspicion and hostility because you are here one day you are gone the next in between you might take something that belongs to me so that sort of suspicion and hostility is so deeply rooted in our minds that uh, because they've always existed sort of outside the pale of the caste order right these semi nomadic tribes and these nomadic tribes they are somewhere in between and because of that they have been assigned a lowly status in our hierarchy and yeah that's what shapes our attitude yeah well in our hierarchy is very complicated yeah um and in some respects when you look at urban india where there has been a mass exodus from the hinterland into the the, the rapidly expanding uh, you know uh, tier 2 and tier 3 and tier 4 towns and cities so uh, there is a danger of this sort of uh, uh, this uh, trend uh, you know kind of uh, covering or taking over uh, even what's left of our hinterland so but in some respects this exodus and this urbanization is also an equalizer you know uh, because what it does is it gives it empowers people uh, to transcend uh their caste lines in many ways so you find people yes. from who were traditionally oppressed who are now empowered economically you know because of their migration from uh, from the village to the city and uh, where they have been able to cast off those uh, labels to some extent because the city is the great equalizer yeah. you know what i mean yeah and um, so in that sense capitalism Uh, you can say is a double edged sword it it liberates you but in some ways it also enslaves you uh, these are very these yeah. are things that one has to understand you know there are no 
black and white sort of things that like many of these activists, they seem to live in a black and white reality, you know, which is very far away from the truth, you know. So oh, companies are evil, businessmen are evil, this is good, this is, there's no such thing, you know, in the real world, you just have to deal with people, you know, and survive. Yeah. <laughs> so activists are privileged, you know, they don't have to do that. Though they can continue, <laughs> you know, they don't have to deal with what the rest of humanity does. Um, so, like, uh, when you say that, uh, when you when you set out, when you wrote this, um, you know, when I was traveling through India, I came across some really really bizarre stuff on my journeys. I always do, and I run into the most amazing people. Um, what are some of the standout, uh, you know, events? Can you just name two or three things that really blew your mind, like metaphorically or even literally? Yeah, I mean, uh, some of these, uh, the truck drivers I traveled with were, you know, also active users of various kinds of uh, narcotics and hallucinogens. Yeah. Uh, intoxicants so in punjab i had the, quite the interesting experience and rajasthan uh -huh. so uh, over there the consumption of uh, this substance called dodda or it's the poppy husk it's called dodda bukki so it's the poppy husk of the opium so basically it's an opiate and this was staggeringly common among like uh, truckers in punjab and parts of rajasthan and traveling along with them getting that perspective of and the most surprising aspect was that this whole dodda or cookie is actually legal in India. It is It's available at government takers, and uh, it's pretty cheap. It's, it's the working class uh, sort of narcotic among the opiates. And uh, yeah, so just traveling with them, trying to get their perspective on why they take it, how, and plus the history of opium in Punjab and Rajasthan, these areas. These, these areas have a long history of opium usage, which is tied up with the socio-cultural practices of the region. So that was one uh, interesting uh, thing that I stumbled upon in my journey. I think the Northeast leg was also very, very enlightening because you, uh, when you travel through Nagaland and Manipur on highways with truckers, you realize that... Uh, there is a parallel government at work, which is with the uh, covert sanction of the Indian state. So these insurgents, they openly run a parallel government, collecting taxes, uh, collecting so all sorts of extorting money from the hitchhikers. Like there's not a single strata of society, right from the businessmen to the uh, salaried class. Everyone pays a cut of their uh, income to these insurgents. Who run an open, uh, open like this? An open secret that there's a parallel government at work. So just traveling in those sort of spaces with uh, someone who's less less privileged, like these truck drivers. Like if you're traveling, say in a touristy setting where you're go have your own car and you know where you are going to all the touristy places, you won't feel that sense of insecurity, I suppose. But when you're traveling with truckers who are susceptible and who are uh, you know prone to being harassed by officials and uh, these insurgents that leads to a tremendous sense of insecurity so that sense of insecurity was very uncommon for me like if you travel in the indian mainland uh, you will feel that you're part of the landscape you know you are just uh, it's not uh, it's not you don't stand out in any way in your head and you're just going through you will meet some cops and stuff but it's there's no uh, this sense of uncertainty that we don't know who you're interacting with so in those areas the person who's charging uh, 
taxes from you on the road he could be belong to which insurgent group you don't know which insurgent groups he belong to what is official affiliation is and anything can happen like violence there's a like lurking sense of violence uh, in these areas so that was very new for me i wasn't used to that so i think these were two uh, relatively stand out experiences for me uh, on the journey so rajat trucks are often used to also transport contraband across borders hmm did you hear any such stories or did you meet people who were involved in such things because they are used for contraband in the sense of massive narcotics but also contraband like uh, you know weapons and uh, ammunition from uh, for to supply various insurgencies across the country did you hear about any of this or have you written yeah. about so, yeah so i'm sure this is pretty rampant i mean it, because that is how most of the smuggling happens so one thing that uh, i found out was when i was exploring the culture of building trucks itself you know how these trucks are made right so while the uh, cabin is being built yeah. there are certain secret compartments that the owner asks the cabin yeah. wala to make which are then used to uh, transport contraband wow. so that is one aspect of you know where, how uh, these cabins itself are constructed amazing and then yeah and uh, then apart from that it's uh, i mean of course when you talk about the serious contraband like arms smuggling or narcotics smuggling mm. it, you don't even need to go to that level mm. it's just evasion of tax tax evasion is itself a kind of you're denying the state its due due share of revenue right so tax evasion is in very very common because some truck drivers they are skilled at navigating the rural roads so they will not go through the official checkpoint so they have to cross state borders this this was the pre gst era so if you have to uh, if you want to skip paying sales tax to a state etc then you try taking these rural roads from the inside which then take you to the state without passing any sort of border check post where your papers can be checked and so on so uh, this was quite common among uh, truckers and yeah i mean these uh, smuggling activities so definitely happen like so after gst also when i was traveling uh, so there were two sets of papers that these guys were given okay these are the official papers which you are supposed to show to the authorities on the way and these are the papers for the stuff that officially we are not carrying so there used to be stuff it may not be illegal stuff but it's extra stuff that these guys are transporting without the knowledge of the authorities so at various level like lawlessness is pretty much embedded in the way our country functions right the the law is something that is meant to be surmounted it is not something that constrains you it is just a niggling roadblock that you are supposed to overcome somehow so uh, because of that general attitude it's quite common for truckers to uh, you know carry more stuff than they are supposed to or carry stuff that they are not supposed to stuff yeah so it's pretty interesting when you travel with truckers that way and also how can you conduct such activities without the blessings of the authorities at a higher level yeah. you know what i mean everybody's on the take especially when yes. it comes to big money big money items like heroin for example in kashmir it's a big problem and i know that in uh, mm. punjab of course is it's it's out of control these opioids but in kashmir it's not like the it hasn't infiltrated into the population but it's used to fund mm. terrorism and separatism so like and the yeah. quantities are massive and it's anybody you know even if you're a lowly sub inspector 
and you are transporting something from one part of Kashmir to another in your little car, you know, you make more money in that than you might make in, you know, your entire career. You know what I mean? From one trip. So yeah. because the money is so big, because what they get it for in Pakistan, you can buy it for a very tiny amount. And then in India, it's like worth 100 times more. You know what I mean? So, I mean, out here it's rampant and it's used to fund these activities, separatism and so on. And of course, how is it possible to do such things without, you know, I mean, the sub-inspectors are expendable, but when the money is so big, obviously the guys at the top are, you know, get, get a piece of the action. I mean, this is India, like you said. You know, this yeah. stuff is baked into the culture and the law. Yeah. So, um, and that's true for Latin American countries, for Mexico, Colombia. I mean, all these big shows have been Narcos and all El Chapo and so on. I mean, you can see how it right from the top to the bottom, you know. And in India, it's very much the same. It's actually, and here we have the Golden Crescent. So, the, so I think the yeah. money, the cash involved is, I think, must be in the same realm as the Colombian cocaine trade. You know what I mean? I, I think it must be in the same sort of zone uh, as, as the, the Latin American narco business. Um, yeah. It's a very interesting, uh, very interesting area, in fact. Um, and it's largely... We also have the Golden Triangle at the same time in like Manipur, Nagaland, and etc. Uh -huh. So the Myanmar, uh, Thailand, that's called the Golden Triangle. Okay. It's another OPM producing zone of the world up along with the Golden Crescent. So we are like sandwiched between the Golden Crescent and the Golden yeah. Triangle. Which is why methamphetamines, all these, uh, the smuggling of that is rampant in Manipur, for instance. And even duck consumption, yeah. the AIDS levels are one of the highest in Manipur because, uh, because of reusable injections and... So, yeah, Northeast is, uh, I think, in among consumption, Manipur and uh, Meghalaya, Mizoram, these guys have been affected a lot because of the proximity to this golden triangle. Hmm. Yeah, that's why, you know, I mean, this is a bit tangential, but what you hear in the news about some Bollywood random guy taking drugs and peddlers and all, this is like the very lowest level of the chain. You know what I mean? I mean, this business is so big that the guys at the very top are getting a piece of it, you know, because narco business is huge. It's bigger than I think the, I was reading somewhere, it's bigger than the petroleum industry, man. The narco industry. I mean, you can, <laughs> so it's like, you know, when you're catching hold of some movie star and making a big news item out of it, I mean, it's ridiculous, man. I mean, it's, you got to do proper investigative work into this, you know, and how it operates. Uh, like, so, uh, so, uh, Rajat, now uh, you finished this book and uh, you've seen quite a lot of this country. What are you uh, uh, working? Is there something that is now underway or that you hope to, that you hope to finish? Uh, is it fiction, nonfiction? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. Uh, so, I am working on my second book uh, with Harper Collins, like I've signed the contract and it's a travelogue, uh, another second travelogue of mine. So in this, I am uh, traveling around with pilgrims across India. I'm exploring wow. the culture of pilgrimage, pilgrimages, because pilgrimages according to me are something which, which tie up this country, right? Since times gone by, 
the sense of bharatvarsh etc it yeah. comes from the idea of pilgrimages yeah. and i want to explore what religion means to the ordinary person devoid of its political connotations or any what is his what is the ordinary person's relationship with god and of course this fantastic uh, combination of uh, history mythology that surrounds these pilgrimage sites right these stories that have been cooked up such fascinating stories which consecrate that place and wow. invested with a sort of sacredness so yeah. what are these stories how did they arise and plus the temp- the economy of these pilgrimage sites like these temple economies what yeah. kind of modern mutations these places have, are going through uh, in the age of commercial pilgrim tourism right pilgrimage is the biggest biggest domestic tourism yeah so, yeah with and how say modernity itself is changing our relationship with religion so these are some of the themes that i'm exploring through this book uh, but yeah i intend to go to around uh, 10 to 12 pilgrimage sites and yeah just talk to the ordinary person right from the wandering mendicant these bhikshus to just the ordinary person who is who, who's going to these pilgrimage sites and just talking to them trying to get a sense of what religion actually is and why it is so enduring in india i mean even in the face of modernity and even in the face of such huge changes even technology why is it that pilgrimages persist and why is it that religions persist and what is the whole deal there so i'm quite excited about it uh, my travels unfortunately have been interrupted by this covid pandemic but yeah it's something that i have always been interested in religion and uh, pilgrimages and yeah hope to do justice to it and you'll see the divide between urban india middle class india and the rest of india yeah. right yeah 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 in a way I, i think there will be some sort of divide for sure i don't i'm just going with an open mind just trying to figure out what what people actually say yeah yeah i made a documentary about it i'll send you a clip actually it's very interesting um cool man thank you for coming on the show and uh, really nice to get your input and uh, to to see how uh, you you tick what makes you tick and uh, yeah good luck on your on your next uh, good luck on your next venture yeah and uh, yeah take care and uh, hopefully you uh, covid will get over and you'll be able to resume your project Thanks for listening to the Big Turtle Podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time.